The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Welcome, everybody. How's it going, Doc? Hey, good, good, good. Uh, good to be here. So early in the morning. Cold studio. Not bad. Uh, I just want to thank everybody uh, for listening in, all the live listeners, people uh, missing work for this, uh, people doing this on work time. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I also want to thank Jamil for having the confidence in me to think I can pull this thing off. I think you can. Uh, great. <laughs> uh, another big thanks I want to have uh, for this show is uh, Randy Mosher and his book, uh, Radical Brewing. Uh, I just picked it up a couple of months ago, and... It's got so much cool information, weird information, stuff, uh, you know, stuff that's out there that you might want to try. Weird, yeah. like your whip beer? Or? Oh, just weird stuff, putting things in beer and how to, you know, procedures, a lot of history, mm-hmm. uh, going out there, making big beers out of beers that shouldn't be big, right. and how to do it right, things like that. Uh, ingredients. It's got some cool ingredients, things you might want to try to throw in there, and how to use them. Hmm. You know. I have to check it out now. Oh, it, you, you won't put it down. Really? Yeah, it's a, right. it's a very, very cool book. And it it opened up a lot of doors. I knew a lot about wit to begin with, or so I thought I did. <laughs> and I started reading this book, and it just, just sucked me right into that right. that uh, chapter. It was very cool. So, well, let's, let's uh, move on to what wit's all about. Um, I brewed a lot of wits, and, you know, everything, I, I was getting closer and closer, but I just couldn't get that edge that I wanted. I couldn't get exactly out of it what I wanted to. So a lot of that stuff where we're going to go over mm-hmm. um, that I did find out, and we're going to do a little tasting of what I brewed a couple of weeks ago and check that out. Did, did you read that book before you brewed your last one? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. So you did apply some of that. Yes, I applied a lot of it to okay. it, uh, what I knew, and I applied a lot to what that was. So that, that was pretty good. Um, let's go uh, with a style overview kind of thing. Uh, the, the history of this thing, it's been around for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, at least 400 years. And there's a lot of different adaptations to it. It's like any other Belgian beer. Sure. Uh, they're, they're not all the same. They're like farmhouse ales, and they're all a little bit different. They use a lot of things. Uh, they got some things in common. But the whole thing almost died out in the 1950s. It was a very popular beer up to that point. It just about died out. And then uh, Pierre Sellis at Hogart brought it back. Mm. Thank God for that. Yeah. And uh, then it's really starting to gain back. People really like the beer, and it's a style that it could have easily just become extinct. So that worked out real well. Uh, some vital statistics for it. Uh, generally, uh, original gravity is going to be... 1044 to 1052 finishing gravity it's going to finish kind of dry at 1008 uh, 1012 IBUs are going to be low uh, although you know you can it can push that up a little bit uh, we'll talk about that later uh, using the 10 to 20 IBU range uh, very pale 2 to 4 uh, SRM uh, alcohol is going to be about 4.5 to 5.5 5 is probably the most typical range for that would you say that this wood beer is like a Belgian attempt at doing a real light, like a light lager almost, even though it's an ale? 
because they don't make many light beers like this. You know, um, it's more of using a lot of probably what they had on hand, okay. uh, a, a lot of wheat, and how to get that out of there. Um, hops probably originally were trying to hard, hard to get, mm-hmm. so they used a lot of spices to help balance things, and a lot of everything works in this beer to kind of come along as subtle nuances from a lot of different directions and if you do it right it's very well balanced and it gets you exactly what you want and we'll go over a lot of things on how to get that uh, some of those things are going to be your modest gravity um, although in the Mosher book he does have a, a strong wit really yeah a big big wit that you can try imperial to do imperial wit yeah and basically <laughs> imperial wit um, light hopping you're going to get more flavors out of uh, the spices that you're going to have uh, pale color it's, it it gets a lot of color from the haze it has. Um, that's why they call it a white beer. It's got a, kind of a permanent haze. Uh, delicate spiciness. Uh, you get, we'll go over some of those things. Uh, standard stuff, what to do, and some extra things you might want to throw in there. It's going to have a slight lactic tang to it. Uh, some of that comes from the unmalted wheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll have a kind of a spicy kind of lactic tang almost a sourness to it anyway what Plus, about what about the yeast strain does that contribute at all or a little bit okay. it's it's i've i've split a batch of wit with uh wit yeast and i did the, i split it to uh 1056 or a cal ale yeast really? the cal ale yeast was so neutral that it was just like oh light ale it wasn't even that really it was just <laughs> wow just kind of this kind of flavorless kind of nothing yeah and it just didn't wow you at all i uh, didn't dump it of course not. it made a great raspberry wheat <laughs> beer put some fruit in but i put a little fruit in there and i saved five gallons and i did, actually did pull it off quite well awesome wow but when, when i first tasted it it was mm, what'd i do what'd i do wrong so awesome. uh, yeah we'll talk about the yeast yeast mm-hmm. boys too and it's gonna have a smooth and creamy mouthfeel to it uh a lot of it is the the way you, you brew it, uh, what you can get out of the adjuncts, uh, what you put into it, oats, things mm-hmm. like that. So uh, commercial examples, uh, you're going to find a Ho Garden. Uh, the Cellus White, uh, Pierre left Ho Garden and he opened his own place here in the States. Did that for a while and then I think Coors bought it. Probably. Something like that. So, But uh, there's some other ones out there, Blanc de Brews. Uh, Blue Moon, I think they're brewed by Coors now, something. Uh, I always kind of like that one. It gets poo-pooed a lot, but I, I really like that one on a nice hot day. I know uh, North Coast brews a wit beer mm-hmm. up in Fort Bragg there. So. Yeah, uh, there's the Great White. Uh, great White. That one. That one's pretty good. They're all, you're all going to notice they're all a little bit different, but they're all going to have along the same lines of what you're going to get out of them. Perfect. I didn't know Blue Moon was... By course. Well, they got bought out. It started out uh, by Blue Moon Brewing, and like most other things, it got swallowed up. Oh, it's it's a it's a pretty good one. I like that I, one. That's I, why I'm surprised. I like it. it. On the review boards, it gets poo pooed a little bit. Does it? Yeah. First time I had it, I was skiing, mm-hmm. and uh, not that that's like a cold weather beer or anything, but it was perfect. I was skiing. I needed a light, uh, you know, good taste in beer. All they had was a bunch of like cores and stuff up mm-hmm. there, and then they had Blue Moon, and it was real nice. I and it, it, I couldn't find it for a while. I had it about five, six, seven years ago, mm. and then it just kind of disappeared. Okay. And now you can see it again. You're finding it again. I I like it. It's a nice thirst quenching kind of thing. It's a good one. 
All right. Uh, should we get into some of the ingredients? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Talk about your base malts a little bit. Yeah. All all these things work together. Uh, I don't think you're going to get one thing coming through in this beer like some beers will do. Uh, it, but you need to do a lot of extra work to get out of it what you can. Uh, so base malts you're going to want to find. You're going to want to use a, a two row Pilsner malts as light as you can find. Uh, this recipe I use some six row in it too. Is that because you did the decoction? Yeah. You wanted I, I wanted to get more enzymes into the right. mash, and I actually did two mashes. But uh, I wanted to have more enzymes. Also, the the higher husk ratio with a six-row. you got to get a better filtering bed okay. that way because six-row has more husk to it. So you didn't have to use any rice hulls or anything? I use rice hulls. You did too? I don't do, do wheat beers without rice hulls. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it just breaks up the mash some. Okay. And uh, once you have a stuck mash once, no. if you're real careful, yeah, then you can not get one. But Do you recirculate a lot? Or mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Okay. That's why I get And I don't like having to put the mash paddle in there and break things up. No. So I, I just use it as more of an insurance policy. Right. So I throw some in there. And and there's it, no flavor contributed. No, none. Okay. And it, it, it really helps break things up. If, if you get into a high wheat content, there's no husks on a wheat. So you can end up with a goo dough ball, and it just doesn't filter. It filters down the sides or it channels, mm. and you just don't get it out of the mash bed like you should. So uh, you've got six-row, some two-row. All these work for base malts. Uh, you're going to want to use – let's let's go with the, the high-work, high-end model here. You're going to want to use unmalted wheat. Uh, that mostly will get you – more of that wheat flavor that we're trying to get out of it. You can get it out of malted wheat, but you're going to have to use a lot more. Do you get more sour out of the non-malted you, wheat? It's, you'll get it back from the judges that, oh, I'd like to have more wheat flavor or unmalted wheat flavor in it. Right. Uh, it's just more pronounced. Okay. And if you use the malted wheat, it's easier to use. If you're going to use an infusion mash, you want to use the malted wheat. Okay. But if you really want to get more out of what you're trying for, try the un- unmalted wheat, and uh, we'll go through how to use that one. Uh, if you're going to use unmalted wheat, you want to really get into the you know 30, 40 percent. Uh, you need to get for malted wheat up around 60, 70 percent. Okay, and it's Just, a, it's a lot. Wow. Uh, oats, oats are generally used in there. It, it gives kind of a slick oiliness to uh, the mouth feel. You got to be careful not to use too much in there. Mm-hmm. Oats will have actually a clarifying effect to the beer, and that's not what you want. How, how, how does that work? It just works to clarify the beer. Really? And if you use too much of it, also too much of the the oils that come out of the the oats, uh, you're going to kill your head retention. Hmm. Although it does, it will be overcome with all that wheat you got in there and the proteins in there. Uh, this one I used acid malt or acidulated malt. To lower your pH? Or? No, no. This is just for the lactic tang in oh, it. Wow. Uh, it's, you can add a, a lactic acid to it. You can do your own sour mash. It's a lot easier just to use some acid malt. What percentage of acidulated? Uh, 1% to 3% will get you in good in the ballpark. If okay. you're going to do a strong imperial type wit or you're, you really want to pronounce that thing, you can probably go up to 5 6% okay. on it. But I used about 3%. Okay. Two, uh, one and a half, two percent, and I didn't want to go overboard and with what, that. And you use flaked oats too in conjunction with that? Uh, yeah. 
like there's the with the oats. If you're gonna do the unmalted wheat, mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna mash that in a separate mash with the oats. So if you use the old-fashioned oats, so you're doing a whole separate adjunct. Yeah, mash. we'll get into that. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Because um, that's what you're gonna have to do to get out of it what you want. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you want to use the old-fashioned oats. If you're doing uh, infusion mash mm-hmm. with the malted wheat, then you you want to choose your instant oatmeal. Because it's already cooked and already gelatinized, okay. so you can just throw that into the mash. That Quaker oats. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's the instant kind, not the quick kind, but the instant kind. Okay. And use that, and you can use that in an infusion mash. So if anything else, uh, you know, you do an oatmeal stout or whatever, and you're not going to do a separate grain mash or boil the oats, mm-hmm. uh, use the instant oatmeal. Hmm. That'll get you more of what you want to get out of there. A uh, little secret here is. Uh, a cheat, a cheat for the haze that you want to have in it. You want to throw in about a tablespoon of flour. Is that per five gallon? Per five gallon batch, okay. and that'll. That's in the mash. That's in the, the boil. boil. That's in the end of the boil. Beginning or end? End. In the boil. Okay. And yeah, about ten minutes in, something okay. like that, and that'll actually uh, create a haze that doesn't go away when it warms up. You You'll probably have a chill haze anyway, right? But uh, you're not going to get that fading of that when it warms up a little bit. Okay. And that's one of the characteristics of it is you know, that hazy look. Right. And does yeah. that add any type of mouthfeel at all, or is it just completely just... You, there's not enough there to okay. to do that. It's, it'll be fine with that. Uh, if you're going to use uh, extract, you want to use uh, wheat liquid malt extract, right. which isn't all pure wheat anyway. I think it's 60% wheat, Yeah, and then 40% two row. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll get you'll get that out of there. We'll go over that uh, kind of thing coming up on which what you'd use in different all grain and extract batches. I have a question real quick about a uh, two row pilsner. Could you just use plain two like Great Western two row that you use for like American pails? Sure, that'd be okay. Yeah, it's uh, it goes back to anything. If you're doing brewing a Belgian beer, use Belgian ingredients. Right. Uh, but there's it's a Belgian beer. Experiment, experiment right. the hell out of it. Sure. So uh, and. If you can't find what you have, or your local homebrew shop only has, you know, two row pilsner, mm. and it's not it's German or it's American, just go ahead and use it. Yeah. You just want to try to keep it as light as you can, so the color doesn't move up into the you know, pale ale range. Okay. So definitely not an English malt, a higher level bond. No, that'd be too caramely right. and things, and okay. you just you don't want to get that in there. You don't. It'll overpower the whole beer. This is a very balanced beer with a lot coming from a lot of different directions. It'd be an amber wit. Possible. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You'd be an amber wit. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Let's let's uh, move on to hops. Uh, you really kind of want to use uh, mild hops, noble hops. Uh, stick with the spicier ones uh, with the mild spiciness, uh, Saz or Tet, that work well. I think maybe if I do this again, I'm going to experiment with some Cascades just because that's got so much citrus to it. Probably help with your adjunct. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, you kind of want to get citrus into this beer in a few different directions. Right at the finish? Um, flame out or? I'd probably know. I'd probably do it in at 20 minutes or half an hour because I want the flavor instead of so much of the aroma okay. of it. I don't want it to come across as a you know, northwestern beer. Right. So I want to try to probably stay away from the aroma okay. part of it. All right. So uh, what, what about the aroma of the beer in general? What do you What do you get out of a wood beer? Uh, you get you're gonna get a lot of citrusy, spicy, hmm. uh, orange, that kind of thing. Okay, uh, it's definitely there, but it's not overpowering. You don't want to have a an orange soda for a beer. No, and there's different Some ways kiss. to get that in there. 
Um, let's go through the yeast. Yeah, sure. But I had a question real quick on the hops. You had okay. Saws and Tetninger. Yeah. What about Holotau? Yeah, you can do that. Uh, try to use the German variety, though. Okay. I think that the... the middle further. Right. Um, when you do spice this up with, with the with the hops, it will take more IBUs if you want to go up that way. But the one thing you kind of want to probably stay away from is the high alpha hops. Mm-hmm. It can, you can easily get too much out of it. So stay with more of the lower alpha hops if you're going to do that one. You could, if you're a hop person, experiment. Go up, you know, five IBUs. Sure. Something like that. So this is a, a completely malt-based beer then? It, it's a spiced with a malt backbone. Okay. It's not a hoppy beer. Right. But you, you, it's mostly the bittering, and the things you want to get out of the the hop additions are more of the aromas. Okay. And not so much uh, being bitter up front. Right. I did have a question from the chat room about whether or not you use a spelt in your wits. You can. There's a lot of different uh, grains you can use, but I don't. You don't use spelt. No. Why would someone use spelt? What's what kind of grain is that to? What does it do? It's just another cereal grain. There's a. I've never brewed a a spelt beer, but there's a lot of do. Get the Radical Brewing book. It has a lot of lot of things on different different things you can brew with. Okay. And he goes over, actually, what the different grains are. He even goes over all the different wheats and what they're good for. Gotcha. So, no, I don't use it in mine. Okay. What about yeast here, Doc? Uh, yeast. Basically, uh, uh, they make wit yeast. It's just specifically for that one. Uh, with this one, I did like I usually do, and I split the batch into two different yeasts. Uh, one we have here today will be the wit yeast. I did also did it with an abbey yeast. Hmm. Uh, probably any of the... Belgian yeast will work. You kind of want to keep it on the cooler side. Hmm. You don't want to have that big clovey banana thing come come in there kicking everybody's butt and overpowering everything. So like mid-60s somewhere? Or? I would stay in the mid-60s with that. It'll probably go a little bit slower. What do you ferment yours at? This one I did about 64. 64. Yeah, you do them cold, huh? Mm-hmm. Even your half you do. Okay. So the, yeah, this one's all about subtleties. A lot of things, but all subtle. Now, what did you know? That, notice the difference between Abbey and your wit? Um, I haven't pulled that one out of, the, out of there. Yeah, so that one's not ready, or we'd be drinking that today. Okay. So maybe next Sunday I'll pull it in, and, yeah. and we'll see what the two differences are in it. So I'm kind of curious. I haven't used that before either. I did have a question about that. You know, someone wanted to know how the wit yeast is different from a Trappist yeast like that. It's uh, a little more spicy. I don't notice that uh, when I have a wit beer that or wit yeast beer, I, it doesn't throw it at you like, hey that's a belgian beer yeah it's not really harsh like it doesn't have the big fruit characteristics and it doesn't have the big uh nose of the cloves and the bananas and yeah abby tends to have a lot of a lot of fruity character to it this up front this smells like fruit mm-hmm. a little hint of banana. same with the trappist and actually i think the trappist is even more so with that one and that's mm-hmm. why i chose the abby i wanted to experiment with something that was going to be less so so I kind of picked that one over the Trappist yeast because I didn't want to make a mistake and, oh, that's not a wit anymore. That's a Belgian pale or whatever <laughs> it is. You want to take a question about uh, the pitching rate now? or? Um, sure. It's mostly that uh, one of our listeners has heard you mention uh, a lower yeast count in Hefeweizen to actually get them to stress a little bit. Mm-hmm. And would you recommend that as well with the wit? 
No, I would I would do a normal pitch with this one. This okay. is not a high gravity beer. You want to do a normal pitch that you would start do a starter, mm. build it up some, but you don't need to do a huge pitch like if you were brewing a triple okay. or, or a double that that the yeast needs a big big starter. This is a normal beer. Uh, I don't think you really need to stress it with like a like a half a bison. Uh, you're not trying to get those kind of flavors out of it. Okay. So I, I would just do a, just a regular pitching rate on that would be fine. So I think uh, after the break here, we'll come back to doing some spices and kind of some things. I got some information on which to use, things like that. So I'll see you after the break. See you, Doctor. I feel good. But we got a wet poured in front of us. Which is absolutely perfect. This one turned out real well. Well done. Well done. Justin, want to grab a drink of that? Come on, you pansy. You got to work after this. <laughs> oh, come on. You got probably three ounces of beer there. No, I meant give me more. I got to oh. work after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was great. The aroma in this beer dock is amazing. That orange. Yeah, that's a real nice. nice beer. Thanks. Yeah, that citrus that you were talking about earlier when John asked what the aroma is and, and those kind of profiles you're going for, you really, we talked about it a little last night too, really got the citrus on this one. You yeah. know, it's and it's not just that um, hop citrus. You actually got a little orange citrus yep. thing out of this. And you're going to get that out of the spices. You're going to get that out of uh, the orange okay. that you put in there. Tell you how to do that. There's a way to do it and a way not to do that. Cool. So let's start with the spices. Uh, everybody knows in the wit, uh, main one of the main spices is going to be coriander. That in itself has a nice citrus kind of flavor to it and a nice citrus kind of smell. You can overdo it, so you got to be a little bit careful on that one. Uh, one thing you need to do is grind it up. I grind it up really fine. I use a coffee grinder, mm-hmm. one of those little mini brawn ones, and it just mills it in dust, and then that's what I put it in there with. Uh, one thing I learned doing some research is that there's two basic kinds of coriander. Most of the kind that we have in the grocery store, homebrew shops, even the spice shop that I went to, all they had was the standard Moroccan kind. Hmm. It's the smaller kind. It's pretty standard. Most people think that's just a little too vegetal, kind of celery-like to use in your in your wits. Uh, the kind you really want to seek out and hunt is the Indian coriander. They're usually bigger seeds, and they come across as a, a, a better, more balanced kind of flavor you want to get out of there. Okay. This one I didn't use that because I ran out of time to get it, and I couldn't find it uh, and, and get it to me in time. So this has your standard stuff, and it works out well. Yeah, it worked out great. But I would like to try it with that with that new one. But the main thing is to grind it up really fine. With, with any of these spices, it goes in right at the end. As I've said before, That's definitely it, not. if you can smell it, okay. it's all wasted. Right. So if you're boiling it for 10 or 15 minutes, it's it's a lot of it's going away. I, so I've never used adjuncts like this before. What do you think about throwing them when you in when you cool it down to like 150? 
it, it's just steeping, that'd be fine. That'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. I usually turn it off and put them in and then start the whirlpool. Okay. And let them go that way. Um, with the orange peel, everybody, you know, knows to use the bitter, dried up pieces of orange peel, the uh, curacao. Right. Uh, I haven't had a lot of good luck with that. So what would you use, sweet? I tried using the dried sweet stuff, and I still didn't get what I wanted to out of that one. Uh, and and those little pieces, they get clogged everywhere. Uh, I found them, you know, in in the tube from a whirlpool. I found them in my in my pump. And it's, why isn't this thing draining? And there's a hunk of orange peel because they swell and they get stuck in the little tubes and things like that. And I've tried using hot bags with them. And that works okay, hmm. but you just don't get out of it what you want. So I went to using. Uh, a z- zester it's kind of like a peeler the part of the orange you want and i use fresh ones now is the outside the orange part you don't want the white pith part that's very bitter and you don't want to have that which is one of the problems with the uh curacao oranges if you look at the dry piece it's almost all the white part too and that's not really what you want mm. so with this beer i grabbed about every kind of citrus fruit i could find at the store I used grapefruits, I used blood oranges, I used tangerines, navel oranges, and I zipped a lot of the zest off of that one. Here's a little hint. Don't wait to 15 minutes to end your boil to start zesting these things. It takes a while. <laughs> zest early. Yeah, zest early, zest hard. <laughs> zest, zest often. Uh, it takes a while to get that out of there. I wouldn't do it the day before. You're going to lose a lot of the oils and the aromas and stuff, but start early enough so you have enough of it. I used it in a big hot bag, uh, not the really fine mesh ones, mm-hmm. but a really large hot bag so it would actually float around and get a lot of them. In it. And I didn't have all the peelings everywhere. It's a great tip. It's the same in cooking. I don't know how many of you out there also cook, but zesting to really get uh, you know, much more of the flavor, you do use the outside of the fruit and you're getting a, a pretty strong flavor with not a lot of material in the food. Right. And chefs do the same thing with the zesting. So it's a it only it's only natural to me that it would do the same in beer. Yep. I had somebody told me once they had uh, an ingredient list and they went to the store looking for zest. And they had to ask some people, where, where do you have the zest, the orange zest? <laughs> you need so a zester. Vile. Yeah, you need a zester. You can get. I thought I'd have a trouble finding a zester. Hmm. I, had to, I thought I'd have to go to a restaurant supply store or something to get one, and I didn't. I found it at the local... Uh, supermarket. It's similar to a uh, potato peeler, but yeah. with a finer thing. You can a lot of if you guys have a cheese grater at home, yeah, that'll you know, work too. That that real fine side, you mm-hmm. know, on the other side, the one that you cut your hands on all the time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's your zester right there. Yeah, huh. and that works real well. That's great. Uh, and you just don't try not to get a lot of the white part. You're not going to want to get that. Put that in there again right at the end. You're going to get a lot more flavor, a lot more of the citrus, a lot more orange. That's why you're tasting it in this one. Right. Well, how much quantity did you use? A mess. A whole mess. Like Big pile. I did, you know, a 20-gallon batch, so I used a lot of fruit. Like a pound's worth of the stuff? or? Uh, but probably about as big as a pile as big as a softball. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was a lot of <laughs> zesting. Yeah, if you see the, the how fine a zest is, yeah. that's a lot of zesting, man. Yeah, I was, it took me a long time. My God, okay, I'll just, yeah. keep, I'll just keep boiling. It yeah. was worth it, man. Well, that was the the night I was almost late for the show because I was stuck zesting. <laughs> I thought I'd get done a lot earlier than that. Doc. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, now uh, there was a question in the chat room about whether to use cumin or not. Um, some people use it in their 
and because they think it's the secret ingredient. And I've found this on a lot of different places that that's not the secret ingredient. The more secret ingredient is chamomile. Really? Uh, yeah. It's tea. It's the chamomile tea. Uh, you can, I got a bunch of it at the spice shop in Berkeley, and it, uh, Peter told me from uh, Berkeley Bison, Bison, Bison Brewing. Yeah, Bison. And I, you get a, two ounces of stuff, and it's all fluffy, and so it's huge. Right. And it gives it kind of a kind of a fruity, kind of a juicy, juicy fruit kind of thing. So it it really does help, and you'll it's subtle, mm-hmm. but it it's there. Are you making the tea out of it and putting it in there? Or you no, putting, I'm, I'm in there. No, I'm just putting it in there like a big tea bag. You are okay. I use another another hot bag with it and mm-hmm. put it in there, and right at the end with that, it's just another another steeping kind of thing. At the end, meaning it, at the end of the boil when I turn off the flame. Oh, okay, so so at whirlpool. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the say and, and when did you put the zests in? Same time, but actually I did those a little bit early, maybe ten minutes. Okay. Five minutes before the, the for the end, and, and all of a sudden the whole place smells like orange. It's great. So does that go for all spices? You're, mm-hmm. you're doing them, at, you know, at the Every, whirlpool at the end. Everything at the end. Okay. And uh, that's, and like I say, anything more than that, you're going to lose so much of it that it's going to come off in the boil. You're going to take it out. You just put the lid on. Mm-hmm. Start whirlpooling. And uh, to a point, you you kind of want to overdo. Some of the spices, some of the subtler ones, because uh, with the CO2 during fermentation, it's going to scrub some of it out. And you can adjust that up or down with the second or third batch mm-hmm. that you brew if you want to do that one. Uh, Grains of Paradise is a pretty common one. Uh, they're kind of a peppery, kind of spicy flavor. Yeah, I was wondering flavor. what these were. Interesting. Um, most homebrew shops, or the better ones, uh, usually have that one if they get a call for them. Uh, star anise, which is kind of a licorice flavor, mm-hmm. that works out well if you use it really subtly, or if you're using or doing the big strong wit, the imperial wit, imperial. <laughs> it'll kind of kind of move things up. Uh, and then you know after that you can pretty much use anything you want. Uh, there's a lot of things out there. Experiment. It's a Belgian beer, and it's a it's a spice based beer, so you want to want to do that. But of all those things that you mentioned here. Because I got you down for you know the, the star anise, the grains of paradise, right. chamomile. Did you use all of these? No, no. All no. I did in this one, I it was the chamomile, the orange peel, and the coriander. Okay. Okay. I didn't use any of the other ones. I, I just threw those in there. But that those, those just other ones that are options that could be used. Right. They're okay. options, and they're, you'll find them in certain ones. Okay. Cool. I have some questions about actually adding these to your brew. What do you think about using them in the hop back? Probably not a bad idea. Uh, it's the hot wort going over the top of them, right. and, and you're really going for a lot of the aroma. Okay. Probably not a bad idea. So if you do have access to a hot back and you can do that, it'd, it'd be a pretty good experiment to do. I just, it might help with avoid of clogging, you know, getting all the particulate in your lines and stuff. It would. Okay. And I think you'll lose a lot, uh, or you'll lose a lot less of uh, what you're trying to get out of it. Hmm. What about dry hopping it? What do you think about throwing it into a secondary fermentation? I haven't tried it, but, you know, probably the chamomile wouldn't be a bad idea to do that with. Do you now, would, you, would you reduce your quantity, you think, if you were to dry hop it? Something about trying to dry hop it. Split my word, do a light ale, and then split it, and then throw in my... Not corn. with the chamomile. It's pretty mild. Okay. Probably, Same amount. Pro- yeah, I probably wouldn't. I'd check it. Like a softball quantity? Yeah, I, I, yeah I would check it okay. every couple of days, Okay. just like you would with the dry hop. You wouldn't want to leave it in there for a month or two. Doing yeah. that, uh, and just on that note, uh, this is a a wheat based beer. They don't age very well, so keep that in mind. Uh, 
if they're stronger, they probably will a little bit, but most wheat beers don't age very well. Well, yours is so balanced with all these adjuncts that you added. How long do you think it'll actually... I think it's going to get better in the next two weeks, and then it'll probably be good for the next... I keep it very cold. I keep it near freezing when I when I store it. Right. So not when I'm serving it, but when I'm storing it, okay, I'll keep it at 35, 36 degrees. So it'll probably last two months. Mm. Nice. It'll probably last well, nice into the, the summer months, which is when this is the best thing. Nice hot day. It's a lawnmower beer. Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, move on to water a little bit. Uh, soft water. You got a very light beer here. Uh, you're going to need to be able to get the pH down. And if you have a hard water, it's going to be tough to do that with a light beer. And you don't want to have a lot of the chem- or the, a lot of the mineral kind of flavors coming through in this one. So low sulfate for sure. Uh, calcium can be up there. It's okay. Uh, if you want to add something, maybe a little calcium chloride, that'll help with the, the yeast and it'll help uh, in the enzymes too. You use RO water, right? From yeah, I use RO, and then I'll, I'll put some chemicals back in it because you need some of the calcium in there. Okay. And for this beer, I would probably add calcium via calcium car- calcium chloride. Okay. I want to have a more rounded, more sweet flavor to the beer rather than if it was a hoppy beer, I'd want to put in some more uh, calcium sulfate. Do you add any salts back, like Epsom salt? Or? No, uh, because that's got a lot of sulfates in it, okay, and I so want to stay away from that. That'll pull out some harshness. Oh. That it would be better in a hoppy beer rather than in this kind of beer. Hmm. So basically if you go to soft water, spring water, um, some distilled and maybe your tap water, that's a good way to do it. Uh, get some distilled water and cut your tap water in half if you kind of know what your what your tap water is going to be and adjust it that way. Okay, let's go into processes, which is kind of the main thing here. Uh Standard thing for the boil, uh, you could have a 90-minute boil. Uh, you can do a 60-minute boil, but 90 is probably more uh, applicable to this one. Is that because you use German pools too, Ro? Um Most people I've talked to now, it's almost standard to do 90-minute boils instead sure. of 60-minute. For all beers, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I don't use whirl flock in it. I don't use anything to clear the beer. I want to try to keep that haze in the beer. Right. So I try, don't I don't bother to use the whirl flock in there. I don't use Irish moss or anything. I don't even use I don't fine it. I don't filter it. I want it to be hazy. Right. The you know, the one beer I do want to be hazy. <laughs> so uh hops generally are ninety minute, sixty minute, five minute, uh, and then spices at the end. Okay. Um fermentation temperatures. I like to keep them low, sixty five to sixty seven. Even lower, possibly, if you're going to use a Belgian yeast, because I want to kind of mute a lot of what the Belgian yeast is going to throw in there. Right. So that's that spicy clove thing going on. Yeah, I want to I want to lessen that. I want some of it, mm-hmm. but I want it to meld with all the other stuff and not be overpowering. And wow, I've got a big Belgian beer here now. Well, are you going for the the adjuncts in this beer? Is this what you're? That's why you want a lower temperature. I um no, I I want to. Make the yeast do what I want it to do. Right. And if you go up to 70, 75, or up and down with your temperature, you're going to end up stressing the yeast, and they're going to throw out things I don't want. Do you think a colder fermentation, less rigorous, less of your adjuncts will evaporate off during fermentation? 
scrubbing them out? Yeah. No, that's not so much what I'm worried about. I'm worried about all the off flavors or the extra flavor, the yeast byproducts that are going to come out at a higher temperature. Okay. And also if the temperature is going up and down during the ferment. It's just one more thing that you can keep under control. Right. I want to keep everything subtle. Right. And that's that's the key here. Uh, carbonation and stuff, uh, it's going to be a high carbonation. You can notice there's a lot of carbonation in this mm-hmm. beer. That actually helps clear it off your tongue. It's got some more of the tang to it. It's mm-hmm. uh, kind of a bitterness mm-hmm. to it, so that helps. Uh, let's get into the mashing of it. Yeah, tell us um, With an extract... In a mini mash, uh, that's pretty easy to do. Just use uh, wheat liquid malt extract, uh, use instant oats, and malted wheat. And I would throw in some six row with that one for the reasons I said before, extra husks and extra enzyme power. Uh, Then same with an infusion mash. It's almost just bump up the the mini mash Mm -hmm. up. Uh, probably for an infusion mash, I'd go an hour at 148, uh, malted wheat and instant oats. Now, let's get into the more complicated one, the one that I used this one for. I had a question real quick. If you're an extract brewer, you you would have to do a mini mash, right, to get this type of wheat profile that this beer has? Yes. Okay. You And you even at that, you're not going to get everything you can out of it mm-hmm. because you can't get it out of just an extract and get all the wheat flavor you want out of it. You'll get close. You can get some things. It'll, it'll make a pretty decent beer. Okay. But there's so much more you can do to it to get what you want. But for like a five-gallon batch, how much wheat would you actually mash for a mini-mash, roughly? It's usually like five pounds usually you use for a mini-mash. Would you do like three pounds of wheat, two pounds of two-row or something? Uh, I'd probably use, for a mini-mash, yeah. uh, I'd probably use... A pound or two, and make up the and pound of oats, pound of six row, and then maybe five pounds of extract. Okay, something around around that. You should try that, Jay. What's the extract? Uh, Wheat malt extract. Oh, you guys have that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've not made a wheat beer, so I didn't. Yeah, I think it's sixty percent wheat. Yeah, exactly. Wheat malt doesn't do him good. Yeah. All right, let's get into the uh, the full mash kind of thing. Uh, you're going to do two mashes, two separate mashes. You're going to treat one like a decoction all on its own and then put it back into the main mash. The reason we want to do this is to to get the most out of the unmalted uh, adjuncts. Mashing and malting are kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just one's an extension of the other. So you're changing the chemical complex of what's going on in the kernels. When you don't malt it, you need to deal with it in a different way. So all of the carbohydrates are really bound up, and that's what you need to do, the adjunct mash. And this way, this one's uh, basic, a basic American adjunct mash. Okay. They use a lot of corn, a lot of things like rice, things like that. So let's go with the adjunct mash first. You want to start at a rest temperature of about 122 Leave it there for about 15 minutes. In that, you're going to have your six-row, you're going to have your unmalted wheat, and your oats. With the, with the wheat and the oats, grind them up in the finest powder you can get them to be. Make them into just dust. And you're that gonna, is for? That's so you can get more out of them. you got to open up. Uh, the enzymes? To it, yeah, you want to open up as much of the kernel as you can so more places to attack it. Okay. Uh 
you're probably your grain grinder isn't going to do it fine enough. Right. Uh, I used a blender. I'll burned out my blender. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, and then I used a coffee grinder to get down. Coffee grinder worked the best. Okay. And then put all those into one thing, get it up to 122 for protein rest for about 15 minutes, boost it up to about 148 to 150 for about 15 minutes, let it let it go through, let the enzymes in the six row work on what it can. Right. Then push it up to a boil. Boil it for about 15 minutes. So you're actually cooking the cereal. That breaks it all apart and makes it good. At the same time, you got your main mash with your Pilsner, sometimes a little more six-row in there, and run that at 122 at that point while you're boiling the other one. And how long are you sitting at 122? It doesn't matter. Okay. I left mine sitting there as long as I could right. uh, while I'm dealing with the other one. Right. Once I get that one, there then comes the decoction thing where I throw all that back into my main mash. That's what brings my temperature back up. So the next rest is going to be a high rest. You want that one at about 155. Okay. You want to have a lot of dextrins in this thing to help with the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. The one thing about a wit is it's got to have a big mouthfeel. And all this is going to get that there because being a 1048, 1045 beer, it's going to taste thin. So you want to do a lot, whatever you can, to help with that thick mouthfeel. The oats are helping that. Right. Uh, a high dextrin count, that's going to help that too. That makes it go through. Uh, if you want to ha- go to a, a rest uh, at about 169, uh, 159, 160, that's going to help with your head retention. Mm. It, it boosts the protein levels up, and that helps that. And then mash out at 170. One thing that I did on this one, I was af- kind of afraid that with all that ground-up cereal that I had in the adjunct mash, I was going to have a big dough ball and make it stick and sure. maybe burn and things like that. So I actually put too much water in there. So I had a lot of water in there. And when I put it in, I actually almost overshot where I was supposed to be. Wow. I, I figured this, I don't need that much water in this. So I would probably go to a 1.4 quarts per pound. Okay. And go at that point for and both mats. No, no, just the just, just the, just the adjunct mat. And okay. I, I did about twice that because I wanted it to be liquid enough to where I can have it stir it and not not have it have an issue with that. And it turned out not to be a problem. Okay. But I had much more hot mass going into the main mash. Right. So I ended up kind of going up higher than that. I threw some ice in there to get it back down to 155. That would still worked out well. But I, that's the mistake that I won't make next time. Hmm. Uh, just experience with it sure do you add more water to help it boil no i didn't i or added more water anyway because okay. I, I don't want it to uh, there's not a lot of uh, husks in there right and so it will kind of congeal too much okay but i overcompensated okay too much you don't need that much water in there so get that bad out mash out get it all in there and I, I would let it sit there I would mash it 155 for a good 45 minutes okay then once you get up to that point uh, mash out at 170 do your regular uh, sparge mm-hmm. whatever you want to do batch or fly sparge get into the boil kettle and start it going perfect okay so that about does it with that one serving temperatures I, I like it a little colder 40s so stick with that Okay. Okay. We'll come back and talk about that.
This is the Jamil Show. All right, we're back. I think I've gone over almost everything you need uh, to throw it at uh, making a wit. Uh, I think less couple of things left. Uh, I just started hitting on uh, how to su- how to serve it temperature wise. Mm-hmm. I like it a little colder. Uh, too cold though, don't do that. Everything drops out. You get almost no spices out of it that way. So if you're got your kegerator at 38, and you pour one. You're not going to get a lot out of it. Right. Uh, let it warm up. Tell your friends to no, hold off. Don't drink that right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50, 55 is too warm probably. You want it to to really be refreshing. So somewhere in high 40s probably, I would say, 48, something like that. You'll know. It, it doesn't make a whole big difference in 10 degrees. So this is something you don't want to serve at Budweiser ice temperatures. No. You just won't get out of it what you want to get. And now, too. And just make sure the carbonation's up there, too. It might be a little harder to pour. We talked about uh, balancing your system. Uh, you'll probably want to put a longer line, longer beer line on your kegerator just to constrict the flow so it will flow out at you know three volume. If you're going to um, go ahead and bottle it, then that's fine. But about three volumes is good. So what what pressure is that? I don't know volume. So it depends on the temperature. Okay. Uh, it really does because thirty pounds. Let's say forty degrees. Or let's say let's say fifteen pounds at fifty degrees and fifteen pounds at thirty five degrees. Is a big difference. Right. I'd have to look it up to okay. see what it is. But generally, if you're you're doing your pale ales at twelve pounds, mm-hmm. you'd probably want to go up to about fifteen with this. Okay. Yeah, just a little bit more. You don't have to go up to twenty or anything. But uh, whatever your your pale ale is. You want to have a few pounds more than that. Okay. It, it might be kind of tough to have several beers on the same regulator, mm-hmm. and that's why you go to having two regulators. Otherwise, it'll, it'll end up equilibrating out, and you'll have a uh, your pale ale is probably going to be pretty fizzy. It's all half foam. Yeah. Yeah. So there's ways around getting to that too. What do you think about rec- recommending an extract recipe for extract brewers? Just a, overall, uh, let me just throw this at you real quick. Um, if you were to do a mini mash for a whip beer, use a pound of flaked oats. Yeah. Uh, two pounds of German pills. And maybe a pound of malted wheat. Yeah. Okay. And then cut back on the on the extract a little bit. So like four or five pounds of wheat extract? Yeah. yeah. And then what, hop of your choice, basically. Yeah, I would stick with a noble hop. I like Saz. I really Saz do. all the way through. Yeah. And try to keep it about... I'd say about 17 IBUs, probably not more than 20. Uh, make sure you do the spices. Just that's what's going to come through. Okay. Uh, and I, th- I think you probably have a pretty dang good beer out of that one. Now, but what about a quantity of spices for a five-gallon batch? Uh, let's see. Chamomile, I probably went with half an ounce. Hmm. Uh, I like a little bit more in there. Uh Coriander, you're going to go with probably half an ounce. Make sure it's ground. More oranges you can zest, the, the better. That really has to come through. Can you overshoot that, you think? No. no I don't think I could. I put so much in there, I think it would be kind of hard. Right. And besides, you get kind of tired of zesting after a while. Okay. Uh, but that really does does bring it in there. Uh, hop-wise, yeah, just keep your IBUs in check. You don't really want to have it overly bitter. Right. Then, then it'll detract from all the uh, spices. And, and the spices are going to 
pull some bitterness into it, mm-hmm. too. So you're going to get bitterness from the hop additions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coriander has some bitterness to it. If you're going to use uh, acid malt in there, that's going to use a little bit of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a high carbonation is going to give you some bitterness mm-hmm. in there. So all of these kind of come together, and you can overshoot that. So sounds, sounds like a challenge to make a fine, balanced beer. It is. Okay. I've, I've brewed a lot of them, and it's change this, change that, mm-hmm. brew one, and then figure out what you need to change, what you overshot with this or that, and then do it again. Compared to your previous brews of this beer, would you say that doing the decoction brew made all the difference? I or liked my other ones. You did And anybody like that. that tasted them liked them, yeah. but it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I was shooting. But most people try to shoot for a Hogarden or a Cellus, right. and it's getting that that's citrusy orange kind of to come through but not overpowering and, and trying to get that and you can't do that with just throwing in some bitter orange peels it just doesn't work hmm. you really need the zest in that one and it wasn't i could get some of that wheat tang out of malted wheat but not not like what came through in this one okay is that it's the unmalted stuff but you got to deal with it a different way you can't just throw it in the mash you you'll probably you're if you just throw it in a, into an infusion mash, the unmalted wheat, mm-hmm. your your efficiency is going to go way down. Oh, really? You can overcompensate by putting more in there, but your efficiencies are going to go down. You're not going to get out of it what you need. Interesting. Now, were your were your adjunct additions the same on this batch that you brewed compared to your previous ones? This is a whole totally oh, different beer. Mm-hmm. I just went a whole different direction with this one. I had a lot of ideas, so I just changed everything. Okay. This is not a change one kind of I thing mean, on this you batch. Started over, basically. I basically erased everything I had before right. and I started over again. And there's a couple things on this beer that I'll change. Right. Uh, I used Munich in this one to oh. give it a little bit of something to it. I think it's a little bit. I uh, I probably leave the Munich out of it. I didn't use a lot. Okay. But uh, maybe it's a little dark. Mm-hmm. It's probably a six SRM instead of a four. Yeah, if that. Yeah. And I would probably cut back on my hops. This uh, this is probably a 28 IBU, and I would probably cut back on that, although I'm not going to make that decision for a few weeks out anyway. I want everything to settle together on this one. But th- this is all new, all new ingredients, all new processes, everything on this one. So it's giving me a whole new starting point. Damn good beer, Doc. Thanks. Damn good beer. Mm. Any other questions from the chat room? Do you serve with a lemon? Uh, hell no. <laughs> You've seen me get pissed. Sacrilege. Well, yeah. I've, be, I've been out drinking with Justin. He's seen me get pissed when my beer comes back with a lime or a lemon on it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't ask for that. Yeah. I saw a quote yesterday by, by a Brit, and it something to the effect of, the easiest way to tell who the wanker is in the bar is the guy would... It has the bottle of Corona with a wedge of lime sticking out the top of it. That's yeah. the wanker every time. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if you can't find him, that's him. And you can't just pull it out of there because it just leaves everything tasting on the on the rim. Yeah. Uh, with this beer, you really don't need to have that in there. It's if, got it in it, man. Yeah, if you come up short, you might want to throw it in there. But, uh, but squeeze it in and don't let anybody yeah, see it. Yeah, don't let anybody see it. <laughs> <laughs> just do a little squeeze. Uh, just yeah, just a little squeeze. Did you talk about the difference between hard and soft wheat? Um, from what most of the research is, and most people kind of recommend the soft wheat, either red or white. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of wheats out there. Uh, Mosher talks in in length about that, too. There's a whole section on all the different kinds of wheats, and there's a history on wheat 
and what's in there, but just generally the soft stuff. I think actually, but this one though, I think I use hard red wheat. Okay. Mention the book again. What's the book? Uh, from? Mosher, Randy Mosher, uh, Radical Brewing. Okay. Get a copy of it. It'll change the way you brew, or it'll just give you a whole new outlook on it and, and more energy to brew. Okay. There. There's a lot of ideas in this book. Okay. Uh, last question I have uh, from here is: How did you clean the fruit? You know, before you zest it. And stuff? I basically just washed it in hot water. Because I, I wanted to get this, I, it's just the skin that you're using, and I just washed it in hot water to get whatever crap they spray on them off of there. Doc, what do you think about zesting a lemon? Could work. Yeah, that's what. That's probably one of the citrus fruits that I didn't use. Okay. I grabbed every kind of orange they had. I grabbed a couple different kinds of grapefruits. Hmm. I zested everything. <laughs> you just went zest crazy. I did. <laughs> I, I wanted to have a more complex citrusy thing. One of the things Mosher likes to use is the, kind of a Caribbean kind of uh, orange, uh, Seville oranges, the kind they use in marmalade. And he actually even said you can put marmalade in it to get that citrusy kind of flavor out of it. That's bizarre. He, he uses it. That's what's cool about this book. Yeah. It's all the stuff you wouldn't think about throwing in there, and then he tells you how to do it. Wow. No rules. No. No rules. No, no rules. rules. But he doesn't have a spot on using Cousin, though. Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a come up in the chat room, I know. Well, it's a good beer, Doc. Thanks. I yeah. think... Uh, you know, if anything, you can probably email Doc questions about that decoction mashing if you got any confusion about that. And you can go to Doc at the Brewing Network now. It'll it'll forward on. To and it me. has. I've, I've gotten a few that I've found time to go ahead and answer them. Cool. So do that if you have any other questions that didn't get covered. It's hard to, with the whole process, you know, all the things that go into this beer, hard to cram it into an hour and, and be as thorough as maybe people, uh, you know, need you to be. And but that's what I found. I was doing. I I got a lot of things to cover here. I think you did a great job. So awesome. Hey, thanks for having me. What's the next show when you come back, Doc? That's going to be the Oktoberfest Marzen. Yes, sir. So we got a lot to talk about with that. Did Did you guys brew one for that show? You got one coming? You bringing in a homebrew? I got an old one I can bring by your old. Sure, I'll bring in some. I I might have one that I can bring an older one that I can bring around. I don't have any kegs of that left. It was too good last time. Went away. Yeah. Went away too fast. (laughs) I've been working on a recipe for like five years on that. So. Oh, is that right? Just experimenting right. with different base malts. Yep. Okay. Blending them. All right. So that'll be good. So that's two weeks from now. Then the Oktoberfest Martin show. The twenty seventh of March. Okay. Yeah. Shows at ten a.m. Doc and John will be doing it again, and giving you all the great tips that they have. They gave you today. So think of some questions and throw them at me in the chat. And again, it's Doc at thebrewingnetwork.com and, of course, John P. at thebrewingnetwork.com if you guys want to shoot over any questions about the topic for next time or just to follow up on this one. Doc's real good about answering those, too. So feel free to do that. And uh, yeah, it's a good show, Doc. Yeah, yeah, thanks. When do we get to drink this wit again? Uh, I'll probably at the Sunday show. I'll probably bring both kinds in. All right. And we'll, we'll bring that in. That's what I'm looking for. Good, good. show, guys. All right. Cheers. Thanks. The Jameel Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jameel to jameel at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jameel Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.